And we're going to come round to the Word of God now. So if you've got a Bible with you, if you want to turn with me to the book of Genesis, once again, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 50 today. And we will begin at verse 1. And this is what it says. Joseph threw himself on his father and wept over him and kissed him. Then Joseph directed the physicians in his service to embalm his father, Israel. So the physicians embalmed him, taking a full 40 days for what was the time required for embalming. And the Egyptians mourned for him for 70 days. When the days of mourning had passed, Joseph said to Pharaoh's court, If I have found favour in your eyes, speak to Pharaoh for me. Tell him, my father made me swear an oath and said, I'm about to die. Bury me in the tomb I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. Now let me go up and bury my father. Then I will return. Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear to do. So Joseph went up to bury his father. All Pharaoh's officials accompanied him and dignitaries of his court and all the dignitaries of Egypt, besides all the members of Joseph's household and his brothers and those belonging to his father's household. Only their children and their flocks and their herds were left in Goshen. Chariots and horsemen also went up with him. It was a very large company. When they reached the threshing floor of Atad, near the Jordan, they lamented loudly and bitterly. And there Joseph observed the seven-day period of mourning for his father. When the Canaanites who lived there saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, The Egyptians are holding a solemn ceremony of mourning. That is why the place near the Jordan is called Abel Mizraim. So Jacob's sons did as he commanded them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah near Mamah, which Abraham had bought along with the field as the burial place from Ephron the Hittite. After burying his father Joseph returned to Egypt together with his brothers and all the others who had gone with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that the father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers their sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of your servants of the God of your father. When their message came to Joseph, he wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves before him and said, We are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good and accomplished what is now being done the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Let's pray. 
Father God, we want to thank you for your word, for the way that it encourages us, the way that it challenges us, and the way, Lord God, that it speaks directly into our situations and circumstances in the here and now. We pray, Lord God, that as we open up this passage together this morning, that above everything, we will hear your voice. And we will hear what you have to say to us individually, whether that be encouragement or challenge, whether you be convicting us of sin, whatever it might be today, may we hear, Holy Spirit, what you have to say to us and to us as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in week two of this sermon series that I have entitled The Comeback. And over the course of the next few weeks together, we're going to be looking at various different characters from Scripture who in so many ways found themselves in what seemed to be like impossible situations and circumstances. Their world looked incredibly, incredibly bleak. Only for God to show up, only for God to come and turn their situations around and use what they went through for their good and for his glory. In so many ways and on so many occasions, when we are faced with trying and testing times, when we are faced with our own impossible situations, what often happens is that we're left with big, big questions. God, where are you in the midst of this? God, what are you doing right now? God, are you even there? And in the season that we face together, over the last 18 months, a season of separation, a season of isolation, a season of tensions, a season of upheaval, life for us at times has felt like it has been turned completely and utterly upside down. And everything that we thought we knew, everything which seemed firm and steady in our lives, suddenly felt shaky. Everything that we had once hoped for and hoped in, suddenly didn't seem to be there in the same way anymore. And I want us to ask the question together today, how do we find hope in a season of hurting? How do we find hope in the season that we have endured together? How do we find comfort in the conditions that we have faced? How do we make sense of a season of senselessness? Because here's the thing, if we believe, truly believe what the Bible says about God's Even if our foundations are totally and utterly shaken and cracked, even if this world feels like it is shifting sand, even if everything we once thought we knew seems to be shaky, there is a foundation and there is a rock on whom we can totally and utterly stand and we can totally and utterly depend. You know, the Christian can stand firm in the fiercest of storms because the foundation that we have doesn't buckle or break under the fiercest of pressures. And what we're going to see together today from the life of Joseph is that even in the cruelest moments of life, even in those moments that you wouldn't wish on anyone, there is still hope. Last week, we looked at the incredible story of a man named Jacob who found himself in a time of trouble and a time of transition. And when he found himself in those situations, the call of God was simple. Go back to Bethel. Go back to that place where it all began. Remember where I've met you in the past. Remember how in those moments I took care of you. Remember, Jacob, that you were never, ever alone. Though life feels troublesome right now, though life feels like it is a time of transition right now, I have been faithful to you. Go back and to remember, realize once again 
that I am with you and put your hands into mine. Lay your life down and I will give you peace. This week, we're going to look at the next generation. We're going to look at one of Jacob's sons, this man named Joseph. And in many ways, Joseph had a life that you wouldn't wish upon anyone. He was number 11 of 12 sons, and his father loved him more than he loved his other brothers. He was undoubtedly the favorite child. And his brothers, they become incredibly jealous of him. Joseph, he didn't help the cause really, because he went to his brothers and told them about this God-given dream that he had had, which seemed to suggest that one day all of his brothers would bow down to him. This only enraged them even more. So they start to hatch a plan. We have got to get this boy off the scene. At first, they were just going to kill him. But one of the brothers, he persuades the others. That's probably not the best idea. We don't actually want his blood on our hands. What we'll do instead is we'll sell him into slavery and we'll just tell our dad that he's been killed by a wild animal. So that's exactly what happens. Joseph gets sold into slavery and the news goes back to his father that actually he has been killed. Joseph ends up in the house of a man named Potiphar. And Joseph, while he is there, does everything with integrity. So much so that he's put in charge of the house of Potiphar only to find himself in a compromising situation where Potiphar's wife tries to take advantage of him. But Joseph, being a man of integrity, rejects her advances and flees. And it's at this point in his life he is falsely accused of attempted rape and he's thrown into prison. Could life get any worse for Joseph? When he's in prison... He meets two former employees of the Pharaoh, and they have dreams. And Joseph, with the help of God, is able to interpret those dreams. And one of the dreams he interprets is incredibly favorable. You're going to be restored to your former position. The other dream is not so favorable. You are going to lose your head. And sure enough, this is exactly what happens. One is restored, one is executed. But before the man is restored, is restored, Joseph says to him, please, when you get out, remember me to Pharaoh. Please, I've got to get out of this prison. I haven't done anything wrong. Of course, he forgets all about Joseph and goes back living his life that he always had done until The Pharaoh had his own dream, which none of his wise men could interpret. Then Joseph is remembered and he comes out of prison. And with God helping him, he interprets the dream of the Pharaoh. And the dream seems to suggest that that the land is going to have seven years of prosperity, where they're going to have an abundance of crops, an abundance of everything. But after that, there's going to be seven years of famine across not only the entire country, but the entire world. And Joseph, listening to God and listening to the promptings of God, is able to preempt this, and not only preempt it, but with shrewd management, deal with it so Egypt is not affected by it. However, the rest of the world is And that includes his father, Jacob, and the whole family. They are severely hit by this famine that comes upon the world. So Jacob sends his sons, minus Benjamin, who is the youngest, to Egypt in order that they might be able to somehow buy food so that they can continue living. What follows is a series of meetings and events 
which eventually leads to Joseph revealing to his brothers who he actually is. And he forgives them for the way that he is treated. An emotional reunion follows between Joseph and his father, and the entire family end up moving to Egypt and settling in the land of Goshen. But then comes a problem for Joseph's brothers. You see, Jacob, their father, is getting older. He's getting older and older and older, and it won't be too long before he dies. And the brothers, they start to get worried at this point. What if Joseph hasn't really forgiven us after all? What if this has all just been an act? It's all just been for show for our father. And the moment our father is off the scene, then he'll get his retribution. Jacob does die, and then their worry intensifies. And we read this in Genesis 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs that we did for him? Joseph's brothers, they're fearful of two things. They're fearful that their brother hates them. What if he holds a grudge against us? What if he hates us? And they're fearful of what might happen to them as a result. Their fear is coming from a place of guilt. Joseph had actually forgiven his brothers five whole chapters ago, but their guilty consciences were viewing this situation through the lens of guilt. And as a result, their understanding of reality had become distorted. So what happens is they make this fabrication to Joseph, their brother, they fabricate a lie, they fabricate what they think their father had said, and as a result, this is what we read in verses 16 to 18. So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left us these instructions before he died. This is what he said to us to say to you, Joseph, I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs that they have committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive their sins of the servants of the God of your father. When this message came to him, Joseph wept. I don't know how you read this particular part of scripture. I'm reminded of Only Fools and Horses when I read this part of scripture, where Del Boy says to Rodney, your mother on her deathbed, she told you to always get the fish and chips every single Friday. What they're effectively doing at this point in their story is they're using their dead father as a scapegoat. Jacob may have told his brothers to go and say these things to Joseph, but it's highly unlikely that that actually happens It's not recorded anywhere in scripture. And if we were to look back a couple of chapters, we actually see Jacob with a kind of no-holds-barred message to all of the brothers about things that they had done in their life. So it's really unlikely that this was actually says. And Joseph's response to his brothers once again reveals his forgiveness to his brothers. How does a man like Joseph show forgiveness to these men who had treated him in such an unspeakably cruel way? way? Well, in many respects, the answer that Joseph gives to his brothers actually reveals to us something that he believes about God, and it reveals to us something of the theology of Joseph. And this morning, it's really in unpacking this that I believe that God wants to speak to us individually and as a church about our own comeback. Because when we catch a glimpse of God through the lens of Joseph here, suddenly, 
we begin to see where we have been and what we have been through and what we have endured in a different light. Three things that Joseph's answer to his brother teaches us this morning. Number one, Joseph truly believes that God is in charge. Verse 19 says this, But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God's? Joseph realized that he was not ultimately in control. He may have been the prime minister of Egypt. He may have been responsible for thousands and thousands of Egyptians. But ultimately, what he realized is that God is the true king. You know, our problems begin when we forget who is truly in charge. Our problems begin when we place ourselves in God's position and try to make sense of things on our own. And the challenge that we face is really that our natural disposition is to want to be in charge. It's the very reason that sin entered the world in the first place, if you recall. Adam, if you eat off this tree, you will be like God. You'll be in charge. You'll know good and evil. We want to be in charge We want to sit on the throne of our own lives. We want to be in control. I wonder if part of the reason that this season has felt so tense at times, that this season has felt so uncertain at times, is because what it feels like to us is that often control seems to be slipping through our fingers. We have been told to stay at home. We have been told we can't mix. We have been told we can't go to work. Some people have lost their jobs as a result of this season that we have been in. What it has bought for all of us at times is those things which we thought were firm foundations are now incredibly shaky. Joseph has every right to be angry with his brothers. He has every right to want revenge for the despicable things that he, they, he, they had done to him. No one would have begrudged him wanting retribution on all of the lost years that he had with his beloved father. But Joseph realised that by him attempting to grasp control of the situation himself, it wouldn't have fixed it. It wouldn't have made it any better. Holding on to the bitterness and the unforgiveness wouldn't have made him feel better. But he realized that there is a just judge on whom he can depend. Friends, have you found yourself in a season of hurt? Have you struggled to make sense of life? Has this season for you felt so incredibly, incredibly hard and maybe you simply don't know where to turn anymore? If you're honest, have you tried to navigate this season alone? The call today for all of us is simple. Relinquish control. Give God back the steering wheel of your life. Recognize once again who is in charge. For some of us, that may mean today we have to actively choose to let go of some things to let go of some hurt that maybe others have caused us, to let go of some shattered hopes and dreams that this season has brought upon us and place our lives once again in the one who says, I know the end from the beginning. The second thing that Joseph's answer reveals to us today about our own situation and about his theology is that Joseph believed that God can use bad situations to bring about good results. Verse 20, you intended 
to harm me. But God, attempt, but God intended it for good, which is now being done, the saving of many lives. There is no doubt that Joseph's brothers, they had evil intentions towards Joseph. They wanted him dead. They wanted him off the scene. They were provoked by anger and jealousy. But because Joseph realized that actually he is not the one who is ultimately in control, he begins to have a clearer understanding of how God is actually at work. Because he had an understanding of the gods whom he worshipped, he was able to realize that God is able to take the bad, the atrocious, the awful, the senseless things which at some times happen to us, and he is able to weave them together to make them for good and for his glory. Joseph went through slavery, he went through false accusations, he went through imprisonment, he went through abandonment. But God used all of those situations ultimately for his good. If there's a verse in scripture which sums up the life of Joseph, it would be Romans 8, 28, which says this, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. The events which happened to Joseph were shocking. Each one of them on their own would have the average person requiring years and years of therapy in order to try to make sense of them and to get over. Yet Joseph faced them all. But one thing Joseph realized is that God can take those bad traumatic events and use them for good. Here's the thing. Had Joseph not gone through the things that he went through, the famine would have ravished the world. Jacob's sons would not have grown into the nation of Israel and therefore the bloodline of Jesus would not have continued. So therefore, Joseph's struggles are still bearing fruit today because Joseph faced the things that he faced. Ultimately, Jesus came. And because Jesus came, you and I can be free. Free from our past, free from our sin, free from all of the hurt which has been caused, free from being a captive, free to pursue a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and free to experience the abundant life that Jesus offers. When we look at the story of Joseph together today, I hope that it brings you hope. Because what it teaches us is this. With God, nothing is wasted. That means that everything that you have been through over these last 18 months, everything that we have been through together as a collective over these last 18 months will not be wasted. Do I believe that God brought about coronavirus on this earth? No, I don't. I believe that coronavirus came into this earth as a direct consequence of human sin and human greed. The fact that we allow some humans to live in such substandard conditions that they have to eat things that should never ever be eaten whilst the rich get richer and we wreck this earth that God has given us and entrusted to us. That is the reason that coronavirus has come upon this earth. Do I believe that God will use this season for his good and for his glory? Absolutely, 100% yes, I do. I believe that what will come out of this season for his church, and I'm not simply talking about Hope Baptist Church, but what will come out of this season for his church is a much healthier church where we are not so hung up about programs and activities, but we have a greater heart for the poor, the greater heart for the lost, a church which is totally and utterly about living wholeheartedly for 
Jesus. I believe that the things that we have faced on an individual level, whether that is loneliness, isolation, redundancy, or simply just uncertainty about what is going on, God can and he will use for good. Your test will become your testimony if you place it in the hands of God. If you see it through the lens of Joseph today, God is in charge. He will use my bad situations for good. He will turn it around. Why? Because what the devil meant to harm you, God can and will choose to use for good. How do I know that? Because he's done it in the past and he'll do it again. Friends, I want to tell you today above everything, there is hope. There is hope for you. There is hope for us. There is hope for the church of Jesus Christ worldwide. Why? Because we believe in the one who is in charge and has been all along and knows what he is doing. The third thing we learn today about Joseph's theology from his reply to his brothers is this. God uses people to help people. Genesis 50 verse 20 says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Nothing, church, nothing is wasted. The good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent. God can, and he does use all of the experiences of our life in order to bring about his purposes. From rejection, to enslavement, to false accusations, to imprisonment. God wove all of these events of Jacob's, uh, Joseph's life together to save a multitude of people. And there's a real challenge there for us, isn't there? And the challenge for us is simply this. Don't let your suffering go to waste. Don't hide away and allow your suffering to overcome you and overtake you. But place your suffering in the hands of God and allow him to use your suffering to help others. What if the things you've been through in these last 12, 18 months, God wants to use you to walk alongside someone who is on the edge and on the brink? What if God wants to use your experiences to bring others in your life hope? All of us over these last 18 months have been for an incredibly tough time, but I truly believe when we place our experiences in the hands of the master, he'll use them to see others' lives changed and transformed. On that day, when Joseph's brothers came before him, Joseph's answers to them revealed something about his theology. He realized that God was in charge, not him. He realized that God can take the bad events that happen in our life and use them for good. And he realized that God uses people to help people. And that means that there is purpose in your pain. And in so many respects, Joseph's theology and his way of thinking was completely different to his brothers, wasn't it? His brothers, they looked at the situation that they were facing and they thought to themselves, we need to do something about this. So what they do, they fabricate a lie and they try to manipulate the situation. Joseph's response is completely and utterly different. He trusted in God for the outcome. Where is your mindset at today? Are you relying on your own strength and your own ability to make sense of this situation and turn it around? Or do you, like Joseph today, have a but God theology? Because really, there is only one way that we can truly live 
that stops the crushing weight of everything that has gone on totally and utterly consuming us. The last 18 months may have been hard. They have been tiring. They may have tested us to the core, but God will accomplish what he always intended to accomplish. God will turn the situation around and he will use our experiences for his good, for his glory and the fervence of his kingdom. Do you see how freeing that is? No longer is it my responsibility to make sense of the senselessness. No longer do I have to strive to make sense of what has gone on and to try to make things good again. But when I trust totally and utterly in God, whatever comes my way, I understand he will use. And you know what? Even if life doesn't get better for me, even if actually things get 10 times worse, there is a promise in scripture which says there will be a day where God will wipe away every tear from my eye. There'll be no more hurt, no more heartache, no more suffering. So friends, where are you at today? Do you feel like you are on your knees disillusioned, abandoned, and broken. Once again, look to Jesus. He is the one who brought about the ultimate comeback. He was dead in the grave for three days and was made alive again. He looked like it was defeated and he turned it around. And today, Jesus can once again restore you. Quit striving. Quit trying to make sense of it all on your own and place your hands into the hands of the master. I'm going to invite the band back up. In fact, can I, um, can I spring something on you this morning? You, you can shoot me when we get home. You, I've noticed you've got your big red folder with you. There's a song that I don't think the church know and I'm going to ask Gemma to sing it over us this morning. Um, oh, come to the altar. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling. We're going to sing the rest of the songs in a bit, so we are going to worship together. But what I want to do this morning is just listen to the words of this song. And then we're going to respond together today, acknowledging the pain and the things that we have been through. And once again, choosing to look to Jesus. The chorus says, I come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Just listen to the words of this song. Let them wash over you. And just use this moment with King Jesus to place your life into his hands again. And then I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond if you want to. But Father God, I want to pray for each and every one of us today. For everyone here in this room, for everyone who is watching online, for the pain, for the brokenness that we may have faced, may we once again come to the altar of Jesus Christ and lay our lives before you as living sacrifices. Have your way, King Jesus. Amen. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? 
Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was born with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was born with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. No Forgiveness was born.